Hi, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike on Sin Nation. You, you are with Daniel and Christian, and today we're going to be talking about education. We will also feature an interview with Lyndall Kennedy, and Christian will also be talking about his experience at the Victorian Autism Confer- Conference. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash greatmindsonsin. And you can follow us on Twitter at greatmindsin. Uh, we also podcast all of our shows, plus special features, um, such as full interviews, through our SIN webpage, uh, sin.org.au slash show slash great minds don't think alike. Now, first, we're going to be talking about education. Yes, the good and the bad of education, the, te- uh, the things our teachers did well and the things they did, well, not so well. Um, so, Daniel, would you say there are any particularly great teachers that stand out for you um, through your experience, primary, secondary, now, TAFE, whatever? Yes, yes, there are. I think my Year 9 English teacher was particularly good. She was, she was not only my Year 9 English teacher, she also took me for, for one-on-one tutors in Year 12. And she was very encouraging and she was very charismatic. And, yeah, she didn't... She was one of those people where even if I was doing special tasks or tasks that had been modified specifically for me... She didn't make it. She didn't make me feel like it was because I was less intelligent or that I was missing out on anything. No, just that you were different, and just that you had different capabilities mm. and different d- different ways of working. I mm. suppose we could call it. And she was very pleasant, and she and uh, I rarely ever saw her lose her temper. I mean, she did once at some point. <laughs> all teachers lose their temper. Oh, let's face it. Well, all people lose their temper. Oh, I, I, let's I, face it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But the only time she lost her temper with me was one time when I actually kind of deserved it. <laughs> I was I was in a bad mood and I was being a pain. It was a one on one thing. But no, she was she was very polite and yeah, she did actually try different ap- approaches. She wasn't she wasn't she didn't stick with what with one thing that's worked with her on some people and not so much on others. And yes, I'm I'm not going to name any any of my teachers even if they're posi- even if I'm describing them positively. Smart so, idea. Yep. And uh, how about you? Any particular good teachers? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say first example that springs to mind was my U7 English teacher, one of the very first teachers that I met um, when I started the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she had a she had a very long conversation with my mum before we'd even met uh, about my Asperger's. But when it came to um, in- interacting with me about it, um, she from memory she really just waited for me to bring it up, which which I did very quickly because I was in, out in proud Aspie. Um, and then she was very willing to ask me questions about it, to, to learn about it, to, to discuss um, with the, uh, about it with the, with the other, with the other mm-hmm. students. Um, and she, she, did, she, she did treat me slightly, she treated me as differently as she had to with, um, c- compared to the other kids. Um, so, for, for example, when, it, um, when I interrupted another student when I was talking in class because I didn't understand whether or not it was hands up or whether it was free for all, um, which can be a compu- confusing thing for something on the spectrum. Um, whereas if it was another child, she'd you know she'd be a bit more firm because they they need to be you know they they need to understand that this is not like a casual conversation where you can just yell out and interrupt whenever you like. Um, she just calmly explained to me that this wasn't an appropriate time to cut in, but I could in a few minutes uh, or, you know, or like in about 30 seconds when the other student had finished what they were saying. And then she made the point of inviting me back into the conversation, not just pushing me out because that's that's sometimes what, what teachers say. They say no, but they don't say why you're not supposed to do that. Um, so it's very hard to learn from something like that. Hmm. I, I can think of actually an, another good teacher that that's worth mentioning. My, my year 11 and 12 
theatre studies teacher. She was also my year eight tutor. She was a, in a way you could say she was like a very mature student in that she interacted with the students the way, the way other students would. She was, she was very interactive and she made learning fun that way. So, I mean, obviously, obviously classes like theatre studies and drama are, are more interactive than others. Oh yeah, just, just by nature. Yeah, but, but even when it wasn't that, she was, she was still very interactive and, and she made it a lot, a lot of fun and she would, and also she didn't, again, like, like my year nine English teacher, she again didn't make you, she made, she didn't make you feel less than any, than anyone else, even if you're, even if you're you're not achieving the marks that they were. And she even she had no problem criticizing, criticizing the the school in certain areas, like, the, and so like she she pointed out when not so much not necessarily the school we were on, but but other schools they would sometimes they would in for, for performance classes like music or drama and so on they would make the 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 written work worth more than the actual performance, which makes no sense. It's a performance subject. And a lot of people might do those subjects because they're not so good with the academic or written work. So. Yeah, they they want the more practical aspect, um, mm. which 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 is a like for, for for me. I think I don't know if this is related to my autism or not, but um, with with certain things, it's much more easier for me to do them than to actually talk about them. So if mm. I'm if I'm writing a story or p- planning a piece of performance in, in drama. Um, um, I, I, it's very difficult for me to explain to people what the you know in enough detail or in um, you know in a reasonable amount of detail so not too much not too little what I'm going to do it's it's very hard to explain it beforehand it's much easier just to kind of show them and let let it speak for itself um, which which is a which is a very good skill I I think um, to be able to uh, to walk the walk and not just talk the talk Yep. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, talking is sometimes a bit of a comfort zone. So you know, it's, sometimes it's much easier to talk about isms um, mm. rather than you know actually do a performance in front of a big amount of people or mm. actually do an art, a piece of artwork that takes a lot of skill. I'm not an artist by any means, but <laughs> I, I imagine yeah. it's it's a transferable thing. Well, absolutely. Now on to on to bad teachers. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Do you have any bad teachers that come to mind? Well, um. Now that I'm thinking about it, I, I don't really know that it – maybe we shouldn't really be talking about bad teachers and good teachers so much as, you know, bad things that teachers do and good things that teachers do. Oh, like, yeah, you know, I agree. The methods are good and bad rather than the teachers. Most, yep. most teachers are kind of a, a mixture of both. Um, but, I, but I suppose one thing that was particularly in primary school was, um, in, you know, interpreting uh, the body language of, the t- of an autistic person the same way they would ter- interpret that of someone who wasn't on the spectrum. So – yeah, very often when I had to pull out my hand and say, you know, I need to get a drink or, you know, I need to leave the room, um, I'd be very nervous saying that. And uh, they'd normally interpret that nerves, th- those nerves as, the f- as meaning that I was lying, that I was nervous because I was lying, not because I was um, having to interrupt a conversation um, and say something to one person that whilst everyone else was hearing it, they thought that, you know, I wasn't actually I didn't actually I wasn't actually thirsty that I was planning to go outside and play down ball with my friends. I did not play down ball. I was a very conscientious student. I wouldn't I didn't like breaking the rules. Um, so one that didn't know me particularly well, when I asked to leave the classroom to get a drink, um, she, she said, what, do you think I'm stupid? I had no idea why she said that. So, you know, I went, no, I, I don't think you're stupid. Like, yeah, yeah, you th- I, I know what you're up to. You're going to go outside and play with your friends, aren't you? Like, 
oh, it's just, <laughs> I was only eight at the time. It, it, it was, I mean, thank God that was, I think that was only, might have only been a substitute teacher. Mm. I think with substitute teachers, sometimes it's not worth it because you're only going to know them for an hour. Mm. So if you want to, you can go through the whole explanation process, but sometimes it's just, just get through the hour and then get your normal teacher back who understands you. Well, I could go on, a, on about this for quite some time, actually. Well, about what, you, about what you said with substitute teachers that don't know you very well, a good example of that with me in high school was one thing I didn't like was when I didn't, when I didn't know what, what a question was asking me on, on, an, on an assignment that wasn't a test, she would then ask the entire class, which I hated, to be honest. I, I'd much rather the, the other students not know where I'm up to or what, or what I'm currently doing. I'd, ra- I'd rather just keep it keep it more personal. I don't I don't like having the whole class brought into a problem that I'm that I'm having. But that's one example. Uh, and another example example of of teachers doing bad things in when I was in primary school when I was in grade one and to a lesser no sorry grade two and to a lesser extent in grade three. Sometimes because in primary school you know they have mixed classes like ones and twos. Fives and sixes, they're both in the same class with the same teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, the composite classes. Yeah, with me, sometimes they would give me work from the year below. Like when I was in grade two, they would give me grade one sheets. And even back then, I I refused to do them if they did that to me. Why, why would they give you that, though? Because, I mean, one of the good... One of the... Uh, benefits of having a composite class like that, like that, is being able to get ahead. So you know you you can do the good grade two work if you're in year one. But but why? I mean, what 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 caused them to think that you needed to do work from the year before? Uh, because because their other teaching methods didn't work with me, so they thought giving me work from a year below would, for some reason, work. Which I I don't know what went through their heads when they did that, but I guess, well, that was 12 years ago, so... Oh, see, so they think it was more a reflection of your ability and the fact that not necessarily that, that their methods, there was anything wrong with their methods, they, it's just that their methods weren't suited to you. Yes. So they just thought they're dealing with a stupid child, not a different child. Well, I don't know if that's exactly what was going through okay. their heads, but that's, <laughs> but that's how well, it... Well, not, not, not stupid, but they, yeah. they thought you're... They thought the, uh, mm. that you had difficult academic difficulties. Well, mm. no, it was just you learnt in a different way. Yes, and plus I did have academic academic diff- difficulties. Like oh. test con- test conditions were horrible for me. They were they were when I performed my worst, to be honest. So, oh, I see. yeah, test conditions were not my thing. And uh, but if I was to think of a particular a teacher who whose methods were particularly bad, I'd have to point to she was not she was not the she didn't teach classrooms. She would take she would take me for one on ones. She'd take me out of the classroom for maths and English, and she would teach me one on one, which you'd think would be ideal for me. I'd, I'd like hmm. that, except she she had she was under the impression either I learned the right way or I learned the wrong way. She hmm. had very set in stone methods, and her methods didn't suit me. She didn't really teach me anything new from from grade one to to grade, grade two to grade six. Like she was just reteaching me this, the same sort of things over and over and <laughs> over. And so when I, and of course, sometimes I would sit in on, on my normal classes and they'd be, 
I'd listened to them doing a test in which the teacher asks a question and they have to answer it on, on their own, and they'd, she'd be asking them algebra, algebra questions, and so it'd be things like X times Y equals what? And I'd be listening in and thinking, X times Y equals nothing. That's the <laughs> alphabet, not maths. But I, didn't re- I had no idea what algebra was at that point, oh. and everyone else did. That is so frustrating. We are in the studio with Lyndall Kennedy, President of Asperger's Victoria and author of The Hidden Disability. How are you, Lyndall? Very well, thank you. So, now, your child was diagnosed on the spectrum in 2007, right? Yes, uh, 2007, 2008, yes. And what was that experience like? Was that your first oh, experience of the spectrum? Yes, it was, it was absolutely um, being dropped into a... A minefield. It was mm. it was a very difficult process. Actually, we started seeing psychologists when he was uh, five. Um, prep. He'd started school. He was he was young in the peer group, but he was obviously very socially and emotionally young in the group, um, and was being bullied right from term one. Mm. And uh, we had so much trouble trying to deal with the school in in trying to stop this particular child from chasing around after him and giving him a hard time but also we were trying to work on on my son's responses to help him not be um, such a target for bullies so we were seeing psychologists to help with um, bully busting and and assertiveness skills um, the, the his grade one teacher so that, that was all prep grade one um, his teacher said she thought he couldn't hear her in the classroom so we had auditory processing tests done and discovered that yes he has an auditory processing um, disorder in that his hearing is very acute and very sensitive but in a classroom with a lot of background noise he was having a lot of trouble um, isolating out the teacher's voice and and concentrating on instructions. Um, Grade two a new teacher thought that he had Asperger's and sent us um, to the school psychologist but um, it, was a, it was a state school and there was a, a lot of waiting in between appointments and she eventually did an assessment on him and came back and said not not Asperger's um, but we think he's gifted and that's why he has trouble um, interacting yeah. with his peers and as a parent you everybody gets very happy about hearing your child's gifted mm-hmm. um, but, but the overriding concern was the fact that he wasn't making friends he was unhappy um, and if the library wasn't open he really didn't know what to do with himself at break times um, mm. So we, um, grade three, more bullying started up again, different kids, older kids. Some really, really horrendous stuff happened to him. I'm looking back, I wish I'd uh, handled things a little bit differently. But we eventually saw a private psychologist again. Um, We did a 10-week course in assertiveness skills training, which helped. But at the very end of that, at the beginning of the the 10-week sessions with this psychologist, I asked about Asperger's. Um, and at the beginning, she said she didn't think he had it. But then at the very end, after 10 sessions and a few, quite a few thousand dollars, um, she said, I think it would be beneficial for you to read Tony Atwood's book on, on Asperger's. Um, so I went home and read the book and thought he ticked so many boxes I couldn't understand why she hadn't um, diagnosed him in the beginning. But by now we're many, many thousands of dollars out of pocket and I'm still sort of not too sure what to do for him. Um, and then I heard about Asperger's Syndrome Support Network, which is now called Asperger's Victoria because it's much easier to say and remember, um, and a wonderful volunteer answered the phone the day I rang and just gave me such brilliant advice, listened so beautifully to me that I was just, I knew what to do then. And, and so I started going to support group meetings and it was just, I mean, some of the support group meetings, the conversations were a bit depressing, but um, because sometimes people were coming along and they just wanted to tell 
negative stories. They didn't want to look at solutions and, and how to improve things, which I found a bit frustrating. But um, I eventually just learned everything I needed to learn through the support group um, environment. And... Um, we went from there. So my experiences in, in not quite knowing what to do and the books I was able to access from the library and bookshops, they were American books or they were English books and they talked about school systems and health systems that just weren't relevant here. Mm. Um, so I found you could find the information that you needed as a parent of a child going through through primary school, but it was really hard to find and there was no place that had all that information together in one place, which is what inspired me to write write that book. The idea of disability instead of disability, mm. and um, that kind of reminds me a lot of the social model of disability that, that states that it's not so much who you are that makes you disabled, rather mm. it's um, what society is like and mm. how society exactly. um, treats you that, that um, determines if you're mm. disabled, really. Yes. What, what do you think of those ideas? Oh, I agree with that completely. Um, you put my son in the right environment... Um, he, he's there's absolutely no disability whatsoever. He's he's quite brilliant in in his fields of interest and mixing with people that he knows and likes. He's there's there's absolutely no disability at all. Um, and I, I think I was saying to you before. I'm pretty sure it's Tony Atwood who said, you know, if you want to cure autism, put the child in their favourite place with their favourite things, and there's no disability at all. It's other, they don't suffer from Asperger's. They don't suffer from autism. They suffer from other people, and and the lack of acceptance from other the people. Um, before our, before our, um, our interview, we are talking about um, just some of the language mm. used by other organisations and um, there was even a, a, another organisation recently um, in Victoria, who I'm not going to name, um, the, the new CEO said that quickly, like at the very beginning, that autism is an affliction and that was changed quite quickly, but that mm. but it it was known um, and it's known. What like what do you think of those kinds of words? Words are, are very um, political. They are. Yeah. They are completely. And I, whenever people are talking about autism and Aspergers, I jump. Well, I, I try to jump into the mindset of of my son and how would he feel about hearing those words applied to him? Because from my point of view. He's not disabled in any way. He doesn't have a disability, but he does have some some social difficulties. And, and as a child growing up, there, there were things that were difficult for him to learn that my other children found easier to learn and other people find easier to learn. And that's, you know, that reading faces and, and nonverbal language. My other kids picked up very quickly. He has a bit of trouble with it. But then, you know, my other kids have trouble doing other things that, that he finds very easy. So I, I agree completely with the with the social model um, and, and when people talk about curing autism or, or it being a disorder or a, a, an affliction as you said um, I think it all you've got to come back and look at the situation at which end of the spectrum are you looking at if you had a child if you're a parent and your child never learns to speak is unable to toilet themselves can't, can't function independently in any way then I could understand that person wanting to help their child to to cure them if you like but if you're talking about um, Asperger's and autism as a personality type then then there's nothing to cure there's no problem that you need to take away you just need to fill the glitches uh, to to even things out with the gifts that that autism and Asperger's can bring. Now we played a a seven minute segment of a half an hour interview with Lyndall Kennedy. Now 
She's written a book called The Differability. The Hidden uh, Differability. The, yeah, The Hidden Differability. Thank you, Christian. Mm. In which, which, in which she's, she looks at how she doesn't consider Asperger's or autism spectrum disorders to be disabilities per se. She considers them differability, so it's a different way of being as opposed to a hindrance, a disorder. Now, she was, she was a very pleasant person to talk to. That interview was very easygoing. And she gave good long answers, so she was able to fill up the half an hour very, very effectively. <laughs> I, I'm sure she was. She, of, she often talks about how how long she can go for, how much she can talk at length and very quickly and mm. Um, mm. <laughs> racing to get everything in. Now, yeah, I liked how in that interview she did – she didn't leave it – she wasn't being too neutral. She wasn't being neutral about it at all, really. She was – she did really – she really gave her opinion, but – I want to. I want to talk about whether or not we agree with it or not. Is if that's okay? Um, sure. Which so which which part do you think you might have disagreed with? Well, the, it's the fact. Well, I agree that if you put if you put an Aspie child or adult in, in their comfort zone and when they're around everything they like or everything they they work well with, then there is no disability then at all. Except except that. I wouldn't say go as far to say that it's not a disability. It is when you put it in, in the usual everyday everyday context. Like if you, it's like left-handed being left-handed shouldn't be a disability, but it is because we live in a world where right-handed people are the majority, and the world it, and society is more designed for right-handed people. So, so if the world is more designed for non-aspies because they're the majority, then. Then yes, it, it is a disability. Well, you see, that's the whole idea of what she what she talked about—the social model of disability. So that the mm. the, the disability doesn't come; it's 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 not uh, inherent. It doesn't come from the individual mm. um, oh, aspiral yes. person on the spectrum. Um, it's 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 also called a transactional disability, meaning that as um, as as Lindell said, as Lindell said, um, Tony said, Tony Atwood, um, if. If if a if a person on the spectrum is in their comfort zone, if if they're able to enjoy their special interest um, without any other people around them, um, there is no the disability does not exist hmm. because it's 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 a social yeah. one. Um, I'm I'm not saying that's the ideal place for an aspie not to interact with anyone at all, hmm. you know, um, but but I'm saying you know th- that's when you wouldn't notice that there's anything different about them. Hmm. Um, they would just seem like. Anyone who was any regular person who was enjoying their passions in the in, in the same way that um, someone who's on a spectrum and nonverbal, um, when when they're communicating via via email via um, el- electronic communication, and and you don't s- see that they that they're unable to use their speech organs to speak, um, they they really do sound like just just simply a person, anybody else. The oh. difference isn't in your face. No, no, that's absolutely true. And as for curing it, I, I still find it hard to believe that people people think it, be, it can be cured. I mean, okay, it can be cured in the sense that you can you can tone down a lot of the disabling traits. Hmm. Like, but that doesn't mean. But it's not gone. The gene is always still there, and it can always come back or come out. Like a lot of people don't recognise that I have Asperger's, but they do when I'm under under a situation of serious stress. It's a bit like, and now I'm going to be quoting someone, a random commenta- commentator online, on a on an autism discussion. In that, it doesn't. It's like having if you have a prosthetic leg, no matter how well you learn to walk or run with it, it's still a prosthetic leg. It doesn't just become. It do, that doesn't mean it's now. It's now a normal leg. It's not. It's mm. still prosthetic. So the gene or the disability. Or sorry. 
the gene is still there. Yes. Hmm. But um, yeah, it can't it can't be cured in that it's completely gone and never coming back. No, and and nor would you want it to. Hmm. Um, you just conserve the parts that the beneficial, the the parts the wonderful about it. It's it's hmm. it's like it's like any part of anyone's personality. Hmm. You 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 nurture the parts that are hmm. that are fantastic. And, um, and and you learn to live with or you, you yeah. manage or whatever the the, the, the parts. parts that are problematic. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, that's like the, the subject of cures um, came up, you know, with a sort of like with a, a, a grain of salt in um, mm. in the Victorian Autism Conference, which I went to um, mm. last, last Thursday. So, yeah, yesterday and the day before. Um, and, and about there was one of the keynotes was about the way that the media um, engages in these hyperbolic statements about you know a, a new cure, cure for autism or you know praying yeah yeah basically praying and, and, and using you know, a, a certain people's desire to just to see it gone because those negative traits are, those those negative aspects are so so noticeable and that's and sometimes it gets to a point where that's all you all you see um, but. But, but but the fact is, um, yes, there, there there is no way of just eliminating it. Nor would we want there to be a way no. of eliminating it. No, not at all. You shouldn't really get get rid of something that does partly make you who you are. No, and that's that's one of the that certainly one of the things I was very very happy to see from um, from the speakers at the conference. It, it just I, I think it was a reflection on just how far we've come. Um, in terms of understanding autism, we've, we've certainly still got a long way to go. But hmm. just to hear, it, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but to hear experts on autism who know who, about autism and who understand it, you know, um, hmm. because for decades since the, the, the diagnosis first, uh, um, f- first appeared, um, you know, people have been claiming to be experts, that were, that were, but there were fundamental things that they did not understand about it. Hmm. Um, so just to be hearing... Um, many speakers who who who, um, who, who, don't, who understands that each child on the spectrum is is different. Who's met, who's worked with many, who can um, who has understanding of of the whole spectrum of how variable it is, and of how it's not always what it seems. Was just very very refreshing. Mm. So well, very very encouraging. Mm. That's great. That's really great to hear. I'm I'm, I'm glad that the VAC went well. Unfortunately, this is all we have time for on Great Minds Don't Think Alike. We'll be podcasting our show as well as our full interview with Lyndall Kennedy on our SIN webpage, www.sin.org.au slash great show slash show slash great minds don't think alike. Uh, make sure you like us on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com slash great minds on sin. And, follow, and make, also make sure you follow us on Twitter um, at great minds sin. Uh, tune in next week, same time and same channel for more adventures on the spectrum on Great Minds Don't Think Alike. This is Daniel and Christian. Thanks for having us.